Well, I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we'll be looking at the first uh, five verses. And in many ways, Paul is continuing his uh, line of defense that he started at the end of chapter 2. Defending his reputation against all the attacks that he doesn't care for the Thessalonians. He was only there for their money or whatever it was. They were attacking him on. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, please give careful attention to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. Well, may the Lord bless the reading of His Word. So in this passage, again, the Apostle Paul seems to be still defending these attacks against his love for them by showing how much he did love them. And he's going to explain to them why he sent Timothy to go back to Thessalonica when he himself could not go back. And also what Timothy's mission was when he showed up at their church. The main focus of Timothy's visit being sent by the Apostle Paul seems to be to help them and strengthen them to understand the afflictions that they're going through. I think it's oftentimes a challenge for all of us whenever we face trials of different kinds that we become over overcome with the storms of life to try to understand why we're going through them. And I think this is part of Paul's concern. They had to leave quickly from the church. He hasn't uh, had the time to get them established. And so he's deeply concerned that now that they're going through sufferings and afflictions, that maybe their faith is not up to the challenge. And I think in many ways what Paul is doing in sending Timothy back to them, he wants him to strengthen them so basically they can better understand the afflictions that they're going through. And what Paul will instruct Timothy to say to the church at Thessalonica is that basically there is a shelter for you in the midst of the storm. There is a shelter provided by God to give you that peace and comfort while you're going through the storms of the afflictions that you're in. And what that shelter is, he'll explain that as we work through the passage this morning. Well, the first thing that Paul says in this passage uh, to the Thessalonians is Timothy's character. That he's sending Timothy, but he wants him to know the character of this 
man that he's sending to minister to them. So he says in verse 1, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind in Athens alone. And we sent Timothy. So what's going on here is that uh, Paul has said at the end of chapter 2 that Satan somehow is hindering Paul from personally going back to minister to the church. He can't go for one reason or another. We don't know for sure what that reason is. But he says in verse 1 that we thought it best to be left behind in Athens alone and to send Timothy in our stead. So if you remember the journey, the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy were in Philippi where Silas and Paul got flogged, thrown in prison. Then they came down to Thessalonica. There was a plot against them by the Jews. This mob from the marketplace and that created all kinds of problems. So, so they had to leave Thessalonica, the missionary team, and they went down to Berea. Well, the mob in Thessalonica followed them down to Berea, so now they didn't stay there very long. So now, Paul is sent with some other brethren down to Athens. Timothy and Silas are left in Berea with the promise that they're going to come down and join him in Athens. Apparently that happened. And while the three of them are now in Athens, Paul was just so burdened by his concern for the Thessalonians that although he couldn't go back, it was too risky, it was too dangerous for the church, that they sent Timothy to go back to not only minister to them, but also to bring back a report about their faith. So in verse 1, that's what Paul is saying. When we could endure it no longer. And the word to endure means that that Paul was in a state of mental anxiety and stress. He was distressed mentally and spiritually, not knowing how the church is is, uh, handling all the suffering that they're going through. And, And Paul's heart was so burdened with his genuine concern for them, like a, like a parent concerned for the welfare of their children when they're away and maybe in some kind of a dangerous situation. The longing of the parent, the, the distress in the heart of the parent, that's what Paul is experiencing. And because he can't go back himself, verse 2, we sent Timothy. Now the we here could be an editorial we, because Paul mentions that they're left alone in verse 1 at Athens. Could be an editorial we. Or maybe Silas is still with him. But later he'll send Silas to Philippi more than likely. So Paul could be left alone at Athens all by himself for a period of time. So that was a plan of action. And it's good to have a plan of action. Uh, when you run up against an obstacle, if God closes one door, He'll open up another door. And in their mind, they thought, okay, it's best. Paul can't go, but we'll send Timothy. So Timothy goes, which means Paul is left alone. For Paul, that would have been a great sacrifice. For him to, to send off Timothy and then probably soon after Silas, Paul's all alone in Athens. Athens is one of those places that's obviously full of idolatry. 
It's a worldly place. The potential threat of persecution and afflictions is great. And to be isolated in a dangerous situation all by himself without his close companions and co-workers would have been a sacrifice on Paul's part. But he so loved the church that he was willing to be deserted himself so they would not be deserted. And so he sends Timothy to go back and, and minister to them. Again, Timothy was one of his most trusted friends, being by himself, sending Timothy away. He's going to lose that close companionship, that fellowship, that opportunity to discuss issues and find comfort in one another's love for each other. He's willing to give all that up to send Timothy back to Thessalonica. And then he describes Timothy. Of course, Timothy was with Paul and Silas at Thessalonica. And Timothy's going to show up by himself. He's going to show up alone with this letter. Well, actually not with the letter, but that'll be written later in Corinth. But he's going to go back with Paul's message to them. And notice how he wants them to think of Timothy. In verse 2, he describes him as our brother. Now notice he doesn't say my brother in the Lord is implied, but our brother. In other words, I'm sending you Timothy. You know Timothy. He was there in your midst. He ministered with us with you. He's your brother as well as our brother. So he's just already reminding them of the bond of fellowship that they have in the, in the family of faith. But then he describes him in verse 2 as God's fellow worker. Now this is a very unusual phrase for the Apostle Paul to use. I think he only uses it in one other place in 1 Corinthians where he refers to himself and Apollos as God's fellow workers. Normally Paul says he's our fellow workers. But here he says he's God's fellow worker. And probably the significance of that is that the Apostle Paul is showing how high he regarded Timothy This is a lofty endorsement. One of the highest commendations that you can imagine that Timothy, he's God's fellow worker. Now he's not saying that Timothy is is on the same level with God, that he's a colleague of God. Obviously he's a servant of God. He's working, but he's God's fellow worker. This is a man that we prize, we love, we esteem so much that we're sending to you That he's a worker with God for your behalf. And so he he uses this lofty expression just to remind them that though Paul is not there, they're getting getting someone of high, high character and quality. And it just reflects the esteem and trust that Paul had in this young man that he's sending back all alone to minister to them. I'm reminded of years later when Paul wrote his letter from prison to the Philippian church. What he says about Timothy when he's, when he's sending Timothy to Philippi. This is years later. But this is what he says about Timothy. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. But you know of his proven worth that He served with me in the furtherance of the Gospel like a child serving His Father. 
In other words, Paul is saying to the Philippians later on, look, there's no one who shares my heart for you than Timothy. Nobody else has the same kindred spirit and genuinely loves you and cares for you. And you personally know His proven worth. And He served me like a son serves his father. So this is an incredible endorsement, again, of just the character and quality of Timothy. So Timothy is a good choice. If Paul can't go, then Timothy is about the next best thing. So now we come back to verse 2, and we pick up Timothy's mission. So Paul now is sending Timothy, and he's left alone in Athens by himself. So what's Timothy's mission when he gets to the church there? Well, he's supposed to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith. To strengthen means he needs to, he's there to put some meat on their spiritual bones. He's there to encourage them with the Word of God. To build up their faith in the midst of whatever persecution or suffering they're going through so they can withstand it. He's also to encourage them. Literally, it means to, to call to one side, to give aid, to give advice, to, to console, to support the weak, to stimulate one in their duty. So he's supposed to carry on all these ministries to them. But then look at verse 3. This is what it's kind of all funneled towards. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. So Timothy is to go and strengthen them and encourage them so that their faith will not be rattled. That no one would be disturbed or upset or moved or unsettled by the afflictions that they're going through. The word to be disturbed here really refers to uh, an emotional and mental agitation where it, it, it can shake your faith and it can discourage you. So Timothy is to come back, strengthen and encourage them so that the afflictions that they're going through and that Paul and Silas and Timothy have gone through would not disturb them. So they need to adjust the way they're thinking about their trials and their afflictions in order to find shelter in the midst of the storm. Well, what is that um, shelter? Well, at the end of verse 3, here it is. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for it. It's God's will. It's God's plan. God's purpose that these afflictions come. This word destined really reflects the sovereign will of Almighty God in ordaining these afflictions. Paul uses this word in Philippians 1.16 when he says, I'm appointed <clears throat> or destined for the defense of the Gospel. So who appointed Him? God. Christ. On the road to Damascus. So, so the Word very much takes us back to the sovereign choice and will of Almighty God. So Paul was destined to be an apostle, not by his own choice, but by God's choice. And also, they're experiencing afflictions because 
We have been destined for this. The we is not only Paul, Silas, and Timothy for the afflictions they've gone through, but for the church. So that your afflictions are equally destined by God. By God's sovereign will. And that is a shelter in the midst of the storm. Just that truth alone. To know that God controls the storm. And when the people of God put their faith and trust in that truth alone, it can help you find shelter and safety in the midst of whatever storm we may be going through. Remember Matthew chapter 8. Christ and His disciples are out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And a, and a great storm descends upon them. There's a fierce gale of wind that starts to blast the boat and whip up the waves. The waves are crashing over the side of the boat. It's filling up with water and they're scared to death in the storm that they're going to sink and die. And so they wake up Christ because He's asleep in the boat. And they say, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. They're in the midst of the storm and they're losing it. No shelter, no peace, just chaos. Oh my, we're going to die. And so what does Jesus say to him? Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And then He arose and He rebuked the wind and the waves. He said, hush, be still. And instantly, the wind died down. The waves became like glass. And they're, they're, they're safe. Why? Because Christ controls the storm. And what Timothy, the message that Paul is giving Timothy to bring to them, in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their trials, is that we have been destined for this. This is God's will. There is a purpose in what you're going through. And for God's people, it is a good purpose. Though there may be sorrow and pain and grief in the midst, but we can trust a good God to bring good out of whatever storms are in our life. So basically what Timothy is telling them is that their afflictions are part of God's plan to advance God's kingdom. Afflictions in your life does not mean necessarily failure. It doesn't necessarily mean that God is angry or displeased with you. He has many different reasons for why He sends storms into our life. But the shelter that we can find is knowing that it comes from His good, loving, sovereign, wise hand. God made it clear to the Apostle Paul when he saved him on the road to Damascus, that suffering was going to be part of his lot. Remember Acts chapter 9, when the Lord spoke to Ananias, and Ananias was to minister to Saul, uh, who would become the Apostle Paul. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul was saved. He was chosen to be 
to be saved, to be an apostle, and to suffer. It was part of what God destined for his life and ministry. But again, there's shelter in knowing that God's in control. It's not the devil in control. It's not evil men in control. God is in control. And when you trust in the Lord, then you can find shelter in the midst of the storm. I love Proverbs 18, verse 10, which says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runs into it and is safe. That's where our shelter is. The name of the Lord. All-powerful, almighty, sovereign, wise, good, loving. That's the name of the Lord. And that's a strong tower. That's a shelter in the midst of the storm. And so Timothy is to remind them of that wonderful truth. You know, trials are destined not only for the missionary team here, not only for the church at Thessalonica, but they're also destined for you and me. Some of y'all bring heavy storm clouds into this room today because of the suffering, the trials, the afflictions that you're going through. But what Timothy's job was is to remind them that, you know, it's not because of chance. It's not because of bad luck that these things have happened to you. That God has a purpose. And again, knowing this, can give you great encouragement and peace in the midst of the troubles and the sorrows of life. To add to that, in verse 4, Paul goes on to, to say, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we're going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. We kept telling you in advance. Even when we were with you there in Thessalonica, we were telling you up front before we were run out of town that we're going to suffer affliction. Not only Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but you're included as well. You're going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. So Paul was basically teaching the church early on to expect sufferings and afflictions for the name of Christ. That the church lives in a hostile environment, a hostile culture. And so that it's interesting that Paul, part of his discipleship program for young believers is to teach them about preparing themselves for affliction. In other words, this was, he says, even when we were there, the short time that we were there, yeah, we were teaching you the Gospel, we're teaching you some of the ABCs of the Christian faith, but by and large, we were wanting to communicate to you, be ready for suffering and afflictions. It's part of your lot being a follower of Jesus Christ. And apparently that again was something he taught at the very outset to get the believers to understand that part of their faith in Jesus Christ must be a commitment, a commitment that would encourage them to know what to expect in the Christian life. That's not always going to be roses. It's not always going to be easy. 
And so Paul wanted to prepare them for this kind of expectation. And why is it so important to prepare young believers for conflict and adversity in the life in their life? Because those things can have a toll on our faith if we're not expecting them. Those trials can bring great distress, anxiety, fear, worry, depression when we go through those trials if we don't expect them. And that's why I think the Apostle Paul made it one of his top priorities in discipling young believers to get them into the mindset of anticipating afflictions and sufferings. This is some of the things that other apostles also emphasized. Peter, 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening, happening to you. It's not strange that you're going through trials. Expect it. Don't be surprised by it. John said the same thing. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be shocked by it. Expect it. Anticipate it. It's going to happen. Be ready. Jesus did the same thing with His disciples. If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. So even Jesus warned His disciples, look, you're going to follow me, be prepared to suffer afflictions, persecution, because you're going to live and you're going to be a light of the gospel in the midst of darkness. And the darkness is not going to like your light. But you be faithful. Just anticipate it. Don't be surprised when you receive the persecution because if they hated you, they hated me first. The Apostle Paul would emphasize the very same thing in another place. This is, uh, this is on the first missionary journey. He's going through the region of Galatia. He's gone through, he's preached, he's established churches. Now he's on his way back. He's visiting all the same churches. And he's not only appointing elders, but look at what he tells them. So he was strengthening the souls of the disciples. This is at Lystra, Iconium. Encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So that's true for your life and mine as well. Through many tribulations. You're going to have many tribulations. Don't be shocked when bad things happen to you. When things frustrate your plans. When things seem to go south. And nothing seems to be working out. Satan has many ways to try to undermine the faith of his children. Don't be shocked. Expect it. It's part of what it means to live in the kingdom of God this side of eternity. Paul told Timothy later on, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now it's true, living in America, we've been very blessed with a lot of religious liberty. We don't have the persecution like other countries do, where our brothers and sisters in Christ today are being tortured, some are being killed in other countries. We're very blessed in America. Our suffering is very minimal. But Satan has other ways to get at us. Other problems, 
stresses, afflictions. And we just need to be ready. See, when, because Paul had to leave so quickly, he wasn't able to really confirm them in the faith as deeply and consistently as he wanted to. He wasn't able to, to really spend enough time with them to make sure that their, their faith was strong enough to endure all the struggles that awaited them. And so, he was very anxious about them. But in, in saying this to them, that, you know, I warned you in advance that we're going to go through afflictions, he never really envisions, I don't think in his writings, the Apostle Paul, that the Christian church is ever going to get into a position where they will outgrow their tribulations and persecutions. I think it's just going to be the nature of the church until Christ comes back. In Romans 8, Paul seemed to make it pretty clear that creation is going to groan. It's under the futility of the curse of Adam. Even creation groans until it's going to be set free from its bondage. And we as God's children, we're going to groan with creation until Christ comes back and sets us free. So, so Paul through Timothy is trying to bolster and encourage their faith to expect affliction and tribulation and trials. That's just part of the course that goes with being a follower of Christ. Don't be shocked at them so that their faith can find the shelter in the midst of the storm. And again, that shelter is that God's in control. That ultimately... God has decreed them. God controls them. And let your faith and trust and peace be found in that. Well, in verse 5, Paul now adds to the purpose for why he was sending Timothy. And he kind of repeats what he said in verse 1. He says, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, through Timothy, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So, so Timothy was supposed to go to Thessalonica to find out how their faith was doing in light of all of their afflictions and, and struggles. He hadn't been there long enough to see them persevere to find some assurance that their faith was genuine. He really didn't know. He was fearful, he says, that the tempter, that would be the devil, might have tempted you and then our labor would be in vain because then the church would dissolve. It would scatter. It would die. And he didn't have the assurance that their faith was bonafide, alive. So he's sending Timothy. His heart is just so concerned. He says, I could endure it no longer. So I sent Timothy so he could find out about your faith and then he could come back and report to us how you're doing spiritually. So that was his concern. See, Paul couldn't stand the suspense of not knowing if their faith was genuine or just a mere emotional reaction. Just putting it in the context of the parable of the four soils, 
Maybe the seed was thrown among the thorns, which the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of, of wealth choked it out. Maybe that's what happened to the Thessalonians. He didn't know. Or maybe it's throwing the seed among the rocky soil, which when it receives a seed, it immediately sprouts up out of joy. But then because it had no root, when the afflictions came or persecutions arose, then it fell away. Maybe that was their faith. Paul didn't know at this point. And he's dying to know because he loves them. It's part of that koinonia fellowship, that, that heart connection that he had with those people. So Timothy, you've got to go find out and you need to come back and tell me, I can't, I can't endure it any longer. I need to know. So he sends off Timothy. Paul's concern is that the devil might have tempted them in such a way that they would have fallen into sin and lost their faith. That would have been a superficial faith that they would have had if they lost it. But again, Paul doesn't know. Paul has a very healthy respect for the malicious activity of Satan. There's probably no church where Satan is not trying to find a, a toehold in to bring about his own mischief. Satan or one of his demons. But Satan has many fiery darts to fire at our soul, our heart. Fiery darts or sometimes they seem like harpoons. It could, could be persecution. It could be trials of all kinds. Losses. Conflicts discouragements in life. But see, Satan is the tempter. He loves to, to fill us with doubts. Surely, surely hath God said that you shall not eat from every tree of the garden. Or just try to deny the Word of God. Surely you will not die. He's a tempter. He loves to inject His thoughts to make us full of doubts concerning God's promises, doubts concerning God's love. He's the tempter. He's evil. He's called in Scripture Satan, which means adversary. He's called a dragon, serpent of old, connecting him back to the Garden of Eden. He's a prince of the powers of the air. He's the God of this world. He blinds the minds of the unbelieving. He's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He hates us. And His temptations can be severe and very destructive. So Paul says, for fear, I had fear concerning you that the tempter might have tempted you and then our labor among you would be in vain. The church would fail. And so he's sending Timothy. Satan, praise God, is a defeated foe. But he still has great influence. And you can only imagine when Timothy comes back and meets Paul later in Corinth and gives him the good report of their faith... I mean, Paul's heart just overflows in joy. And you, you, you hear some of that in this letter. Oh, he, he was so thankful to God when Timothy finally comes back and, and tells him of their strong, progressing, persevering faith. 
In application of this passage, there's a couple of things I think that are important to, to give thought to. Is one of the signs of true faith is, is perseverance. You know, Jesus said that he who perseveres to the end will be saved. But one of the signs of true faith is how you weather and persevere through the storms of life. And since Paul didn't know that, how their faith was holding up, that's why he had that initial fear. And Paul wanted to know if their faith had survived. Was it persevering? Were they trusting God in the midst of their sufferings and afflictions? Because if they were, then that was good evidence that regeneration and a heart change had actually taken place. But if they turn away from God, if they become so discouraged, they walk away from it, well, obviously their conversion was a counterfeit. So that the evidence of the Apostle Paul and the conviction that they were truly of God's elect was because of their persevering faith. That's why earlier, now this is after Timothy has come back. And Timothy has told him, look, the church in Thessalonica, man, they're doing well. They're, they're persevering by the grace of God. And so now, when Paul starts to write this letter to them, look at his confidence. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you, for our Gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. See, this is written after Timothy has come back and given him this glowing report of their faith so that their persevering faith is strong evidence of election. Of God's grace. How do you know if you're of God's elect? Well, number one, have you recognized that you're a sinner and placed your faith and trust only in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? That's first and foremost. And the Lord offers everyone that forgiveness if they will but repent and believe in Christ. You say, well, I've, I've done that. Well, is your faith that has believed in Christ is it genuine or is it not? Well, persevering faith is one of the signs and evidence that is, that is genuine. It's sustained by the new birth, the Spirit within you. And that's one of the great evidences that we can know and have assurance of our salvation. And that's what Paul is reflecting at in the beginning of this chapter after Timothy has come back with that good news. So, number one, one of the lessons we can learn is that one of the signs of true faith is perseverance. Another lesson is that our afflictions, just like Paul and Silas and Timothy and the Thessalonians, are also destined by God. I want to emphasize that again as well. Your trials, the ones you have brought into this room this morning, the ones you'll experience afresh tomorrow, the ones that have been clinging on with its claws and teeth on your body and soul for weeks or maybe months, is ultimately destined by God. Your trials, your sufferings, your afflictions are a part of God's plan to ultimately conform you to the image of His Son. And as Christ bore the cross before He wore the crown, 
So we are in that cross-bearing phase of redemption. We get the crown and glory. But now we must endure, persevere by grace the trials that are set before us. So just get in your mind that you're going to have troubles. Don't be discouraged by them. Don't be shocked by them. The problem, however, is oftentimes when these troubles and trials come our way that we kind of get sunk in them or we get lost in the maze and we don't know which way to turn, which way to go, and then we start crying out, why God? Why are you doing this to me? Why this? Why me? Why now? And we just bombard God with all these questions and we, get, we can get angry and we can get depressed because we don't realize and we've forgotten that these are destined by God who loves us and is infinitely wise and good. One of my favorite Spurgeon quotes is this. He says, Trials are a part of our lot. They were predestined for us in God's solemn decrees and bequeathed us in Christ's last legacy. So surely as the stars are fashioned by His hands and their orbits fixed by Him, so surely are our trials allotted to us. He has ordained their season and their place, their intensity and the effect they shall have upon us. And I think what Spurgeon is saying is what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. Your afflictions are destined by God. Find comfort in that. Find hope in that. This really does dismantle the whole health and wealth and prosperity gospel, doesn't it? That God wants everybody to be healthy and wealthy. Not so. So it just, it just torpedoes that, that whole false gospel. So, backing up, why, why does God destine trials and afflictions in our life? Why does He do it? Well, for... Several reasons. In closing, I'll, I'll uh, cover just a, a few of them. But the first is to increase our fruitfulness. Remember, Jesus said in John 15.2, every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it that it might bear more fruit. See, some of the trials and the afflictions in your life are designed to prune stuff out of your life. This is kind of the, the, the Mr. Clutter ministry. Of, of our trials. It declutters our life. It takes stuff away through losses, through disasters, through trials and troubles. Why? Why, God, did You take that from me? Why is my wealth jeopardized? Why is my health jeopardized? Why are You pruning these blessings from my life? So that You'll bear more fruit. Maybe in other areas of your life. But God destines trials and afflictions sometimes to increase our fruitfulness. There's an old saying that too much sun makes a desert. So we need storms to bring a harvest. So there's more than just cactus growing in our life. We have all these fine points, but no one wants to get close to us. We're like a cactus. So, 
God ordains trials and afflictions to take stuff away to increase the good stuff, the fruitfulness. Another reason is to advance Christ's likeness in our life. Romans 8.29 just says that we're all predestined to be conformed to His image. And that process is taking place now as it will be consummated in glory. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. However, our hearts are oftentimes way out of tune with Christ's heart. And our trials are designed oftentimes to tune our hearts back to the heart of Christ. It's like if uh, Job loosened up all the strings on his violin and then tried to play, what would it sound like? Probably not very pretty. But to get beauty in the right tone and the right note from that violin, what do you have to do? Tighten up the doohickey, whatever you call that, the what, what are, that, whatever, the little pegs. You got to tighten it up. It's like putting that string on the rack and stretching it. But when you stretch it and you bring tension and you bring all of that difficulty and pain to the string, you make it so tight that suddenly it sings a beautiful tune. And some of the struggles and some of the the racks that it seems like God puts us on is to tune our heart that has gotten out of tune with God and to tune it back in line with the beauty of the music of what's coming from God Himself. So God ordains and destines trials and afflictions to make us more like Christ. Again, Spurgeon, when a calm reigns on the sea, spread the sails as you will, the ship moves not to its harbor. But let the winds rush howling forth And let the waters lift themselves up. And though the vessel may rock and her deck may be washed with waves and her mast may creak under the pressure of the full and swelling sail, then it is that she makes headway toward her desired haven. So we need the violent winds. We need the storms. Because they're actually used by God to push us forward into life. Too much prosperity, too much calmness in life, the ship does not move. But bring in the violence of the wind, and now we're making progress by the grace of God. Another purpose is to prevent sin. This is one of the blessings of why God destines trials and afflictions in our life is to help prevent sin. We uh, went over this in our Sunday school class. Why did God give Paul a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him? Because God just wanted to mistreat His servant? He just wanted to bring pain in His life? No, why? 
to keep him from exalting himself, to put a lid on his pride, his arrogance, because of all the revelations that he had received from God. It was to actually prevent sin in his life. The Puritan Richard Sibb said, affliction takes away the fuel that feeds pride. And so you can think of some of our afflictions in that way as well. So how thankful should we be for God's medicines that prevent the hidden diseases of sin to grow in our life? And afflictions can certainly help do that for us. Fourthly, to discipline us for sin. Obviously, that's Hebrews chapter 12. It's a great passage. Whenever God disciplines us for our sin, He can bring trials, He can bring afflictions, He can bring sufferings of of manifold types. But it's all out of love for us. It's not because He's wrathful. He loves us. He loves His children. As a father will discipline his child, so God will discipline His children as well. It's actually a mark of our being His children. Hebrews 12, 7 and 8. It's not joyful. The discipline isn't. It's sorrowful. But God disciplines us for our good that we might share His holiness. And those who are trained by it, it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And all that's good. So God loves us enough to where when we're committing sin that He needs to, to deal with us on, He'll send discipline. He'll send chastisements. But it's all for our good. It's all for our benefit. We can praise Him for that. I love Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep Your Word. See, I was sinning. I was going astray. But then You sent the affliction and now I'm living in obedience to Your Word. And then He says, it's good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn Your statutes. It's always good. You have to interpret who's sending the storms. It's Your loving Heavenly Father. And so it's good. Whatever He ordains is good. And then finally, to teach us humility. To learn that we can't do it on our own. That we fail a lot. We need God's grace. We need God's power. Zechariah 4.6 says, It's not by might nor by power, but by My Spirit, says the Lord. So don't trust in yourselves. And trials are... Part of the function of trials is to show us how quickly we fail and give in to sin or discouragement. How weak we are. You know, the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to them after they kept falling asleep, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to sense and feel the weakness of our flesh so that we learn to depend upon God all the more for strength. And that's one of the reasons why He sends trials and afflictions our way. It's when we're weak, then we are strong, says the Apostle Paul. That we stand by His strength, not by our strength. So in summary, what Paul has sent Timothy to do is to remind the Thessalonians that their afflictions are destined by God. That they can have confidence to know that God is in control of the storms. And the way to find shelter in your storm is to merely humble yourself and recognize 
that God, I don't understand why it's in my life. I don't understand why you're sending it. But Father, I believe that this storm comes from You. And You control the intensity of the storm. You control the damage of the storm. You control the length of the storm. And because You are my loving Heavenly Father, and because You are infinitely good and wise and holy, and You always have my best in Your heart, though I don't understand, I will trust Because you control the storms. And as I let that truth into my mind and my heart, then I can find a shelter in the midst of it. Well, may the Lord encourage us with the words that Paul has sought to encourage the Thessalonians with. And may we take this truth home with us that whatever storm comes into our life, God controls it and He's going to work it for good. And may that bless our hearts. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father God, we again uh, thank You, Lord, for this incredible truth that Paul is giving to the Thessalonian church. These young believers who need to learn it, they need to learn it quick, that to be a follower of Christ means conflict. It means suffering. It means adversity and afflictions. But Lord, to know that they come because You have ordained them. And though we don't like the pain, we don't like the loss or the suffering, You have promised to us, Lord, that You will bring good out of it. And in that, we can find comfort, contentment, and joy. So Father, may we learn this same lesson For our lives are oftentimes battered by storms. And how easy it is for our faith to to be on the verge, as it were, of sinking. Just like the disciples in the boat. But to know, Lord, that You can stand up and speak to those storms and say, hush and be still. And You can say to our storms, hush and be still. That it's all under Your control. And may that fill our hearts with Your peace as we trust in You. So Lord, bless this to Your church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.